0: Well, hello there, Leading Women in Tech. We're back. We're back for another episode of the podcast. I hope you're doing well. I'm going to dive straight in today because I've got a lot to cover. And today, I'm on a mission to help more of you understand your offer, so you know which opportunities to take, which to back away from and feel empowered to do that and also feel empowered to negotiate from that place of knowledge because job offers today are very rarely... Simple. Like, even if you're getting a promotion, unless you're working for an academic environment where a lot of the time there are some academic environments, not all, there is less scope for negotiation and you've been there before. Like, sometimes an internal promotion in something where it's very rigid, there's not a lot to look at. You know, you know what the perks are because they've not changed. You know what the um, pension situation is, the 401k if you're in the US. Um, you know what your healthcare is because you're staying in the same organization, right? So it's less to understand. But even there, sometimes sometimes as you go up, you might get more vacation days, you might get more professional development budgets, all sorts of bits and pieces, which when you dig into an offer is worth understanding. Um, and if you're a moving organization, if you work in corporate, actually almost anywhere in the world in this day and age, some countries is more complex than others. But in this day and age, Especially if you're going up to the kind of level of a leader, an executive, anything like that, these offers are complex beasts. And I think one of the reasons why people regret taking an offer is when they get into the reality of the situation and think, well, that headline figure isn't actually all I thought it was going to be. And so today, I really want to help you feel empowered to understand your offer, give you the tools and techniques. (laughs) Um, I've actually been working with three incredible women recently on negotiating their job offers. And for every single one of them, the knowledge of what they are getting is truly where their ability to negotiate comes from. I can teach you negotiation skills. That is one of the things I do. Right? <laughs> and that's an essential piece of the puzzle. In fact, if you haven't already heard episode 44 on the high cost of failing to negotiate at work, which isn't just about failing to negotiate your pay a packet. It's about what that means as a a senior leader. You need to go and listen to episode 44, tonycollis.com forward slash episode 44. I'll make sure that link is in the show notes for you because it's about respect from others. It's about how the negotiation goes and the tone that sets for what comes next. It's all sorts of things go into negotiation, but part of negotiation is knowing the real situation. And that's what I want to focus on today. The real situation of your job offer Because today's job offers are complex beasts. It's no longer just about your base salary. It's about bonuses and options. If you're in the US, it's about the type of health insurance you have, the copay costs, what's included, what's excluded that go with that. That's a big one for many people. One of the ladies I've been working with in the last few weeks realized that although the offer she was receiving was a base salary that was $50,000 higher than her previous salary, but the changes in her health care plan that she was actually going to be worse off. I kid you not. (laughs) That doesn't necessarily mean you should walk away for a job, right? Because sometimes there are other reasons to move. But I want you to understand what's really going on underneath of this offer, because it isn't just about that first dollar amount. So today, I want to take you through how to analyze your offer and truly understand what it means for you financially. From there, you are then more likely to know whether you are landing where you think you are going to be landing and are truly happy to accept the offer or whether you need to negotiate further or indeed whether or not you need to walk away. I want to stop the place of women taking offers that at first glance seem great, only to then realize six months down the road that they're actually worse off. And I've seen this happen so many times and it breaks my heart. So that's what we're up against today. (laughs) Um, And to help you out on this, I'm going to give you a spreadsheet to help you do this analysis. This is something that you don't even have to enter your email address, name, nothing. I just, there's a link, bit.ly forward slash analyze my offer, and you'll get a copy of a spreadsheet, a Google spreadsheet that you can use alongside this episode. Tailor it as much as you need to. It's simply there to give you a framework to help you truly get to the bottom of what each offer means for you, compare it to your current situation, and, and give you the tools and, techniques and understanding and areas of analysis for you to really dig into it and stand in your own value. So without further ado, because there's a lot to get through today, let's dig in. You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. When you receive an offer, if it's a verbal offer, which it often is, unless you know immediately that the numbers make sense, which I'm hoping that by listening to today's podcast, you'll probably realize it's very rare, if ever, that those numbers are something you can just take and accept. But I want you to either feel empowered to say, thanks for this, give me twenty-four hours to go through the details and get back to you, or You know, that's not the base rate I was looking for or something like that. Immediately go into the counter if you want to. But either way, I want you to give yourself the time to, even if you've counted, to understand the details and get back to them. If they can't give you 24 hours, then they aren't negotiating in good faith. Don't get me wrong. An organization will want to wrap up at this point. Often at the point of offering you a package, a lot of work has gone in to get into this decision-making point. All parties feel some urgency to get things done, adjusted, move on, get you in the door, right? <laughs> um, after all, if you've been a hiring manager, you probably know that a lot of the time this process can take months, sometimes even years, right? So by the time they offer you the position, they want you to be starting yesterday, they're impatient, right? But if they aren't prepared to give you the time to understand the offer, that means one of two things that is very important. Firstly, that they will be a bad boss who is always driven by urgency without truly understanding the relative importance of different tasks. A red flag, because like people that shout the loudest, people that respond to emails, like landing and stuff like that, aren't able to be highly strategic, and you don't want to buff bosses like that, because that's when you get a boss who says yes to everything and then piles the pressure on you and you don't have the resources to. So that's the first red flag. If they aren't prepared to give you the time to understand the offer, It can mean that they are not going to be a good boss. (laughs) Secondly, the other reason that people do this is they are lowballing you and they don't want you to figure that out. I hate to put it to you like that, but those are the two reasons why people don't give you time Will give you an exploding offer and be like, well, it's gone as soon as we hang up or you've got two hours, which is rarely enough. Either way, if they are pushing you to accept an offer on the spot, it is bad use right this is a big deal you wouldn't buy a house or a brand new car without really considering all your options and your job is the biggest thing you do in your life it's the thing that most of us spend most of our time doing it's really really important that you get the time to really think it through now part of the interview process will have been figuring out whether or not you like the environment whether or not you like the people that sort of side things But the final piece of the puzzle is this offer piece the financial piece because it is primarily financial and you know you need time to do that now don't get me wrong they may pile on the pressure as they want this done and that's fair enough as i said they've often been a very long time getting to this point mentioning things like getting back to the backup candidate or giving you a deadline are common and fair and they're not necessarily a bad thing it can feel like pressure on you But this isn't about getting to the finish line just for the sake of it. This is about moving forwards and being fair to everybody involved. So don't take it personally if you feel like they're putting pressure on you, as long as they're giving you the space to fully consider. What is important is that any prospective company, employer, future boss is prepared to emotionally step back from their own sense of impatience and give you the reasonable amount of time to consider the full implications of the offer. If they aren't prepared to do that, How are they going to show up as a boss is a legitimate question to be asking yourself. But assuming they've given you the time, you have the offer in hand, you've got all the details, I want you as soon as possible to set aside a few hours and go through it with a fine tooth comb, which is really what this episode is about. (laughs) And this is where my spreadsheet will help you get a hold of what's really going on. The first thing to understand is your take-home pay after taxes and any work associated costs. You'll see this calculation in step one of the spreadsheet, but some of the areas to consider include if you are going to be paying new or different taxes, which happens if you move. If you or the company you're working for are in the same locality, then this probably won't change, but be careful if you work remote um, for another company, as what taxes you will be paying may well depend on where the company is or where you are. That really changes all over the world or every state in the US. (laughs) Like, understand if in doubt, get yourself an accountant to help you with this. One of the reasons I negotiated hard when I landed in my C-suite role was that I was going to be living in Scotland, but the company's headquarters were in Spain. This meant an additional tax overhead from just living in Scotland and working for a company in Scotland. And so I negotiated with them who was going to shoulder that tax. Now, in the end, what they did was they gave me more money and I shouldered it. But it also meant commuting to Spain once a month, something I negotiated that they should pay for. We're going to come to that sort of thing in a moment. But... (laughs) Just to factor in there, though, another thing that goes hand in hand with that is if you were going to be working remotely, but you have to commute somewhere, you know, you have to commute to a different place, you might only be doing that once a month compared to driving every day. So when I moved to working for that company in Spain, I stopped doing my daily commute, which I did four days a week previously, which was a 60 mile round trip. That's lots of miles No, actually. What happened before was my husband and I, because we worked in the same place, we shared the commute. So actually it didn't reduce my costs, but it would have reduced my costs if I was no longer doing all that driving. But instead, I would have had the cost of commuting to Spain once a month. It It changes the calculation quite substantially. So it's worth just considering all of those elements. If you are changing the way you work as well as the location or the company's location, have a good look at what that means and all the implications and elements associated with that. Another cost that we often forget in moving location is the change in cost of living. Sometimes that's an increase, sometimes it's a decrease. Um, This includes the big ticket obvious items such as the cost of renting or owning a home in one city compared to another and that's often where many of us stop thinking. But consider things like local taxes associated with living in a particular location. There may be taxes associated with living in a city or um, maybe local income tax or anything like that. What goes on with local taxes? That's sometimes something if you live somewhere where there are no local taxes, that's something to consider. Some places, for example, you'll have to pay something towards like a a car tax if you own a car. Other places, there is no such thing. And if you live in such a place, the idea of paying a tax for your car is like, I've never even thought of that. So really read up on the locality you're going to be living in and associated taxes with that. It's also including less obvious items such as the cost of food in your new location. Yes, that varies massively. (laughs) Um, there are all sorts of websites that tell you about costs of food, but make sure you're looking at the things that you buy. I, for example, try and buy as much organic as possible. Where I currently live, that means getting pretty much everything delivered because it breaks my heart. But where I live, there isn't that much organic produce available in the shops. So there's an additional cost there to me because that is something I'm not prepared to compromise on. So have a look at that. Another thing which has thrown me in the past is... <laughs> changes to your vacation costs because you live by a more expensive airport. I don't know if you know this, but quite often you will have airport taxes added onto your flights. This again varies by country, but if you live by an airport that is an expensive tax airport, that can add hundreds, even thousands to your vacation costs. If you go on vacation three times a year, that can actually be quite a big premium if you've got a family of four, right? add that on, calculate it, figure it out. (laughs) These things may all be small individually, but I encourage you to understand them because sometimes lots of small things add up to a big difference, right? And that's where we trip up. We think, oh, this headline is a great number. And then a year down the line, we're like, we're worse off. Why are we worse off? And it's all these little things adding up. That doesn't mean you shouldn't take the job, but I want you to go in well-informed. Another area that people forget are things such as changes to your clothing expenses. I know, a strange one to think of. But as you level up in your career, you may find that you need to spend more time in front of executives and not just executives from your own company, but from external companies representing the company you then would work for. Investors, stakeholders, all of these. If you've gone from working at home to spending a lot of time in front of such audiences, you may find that you need to significantly up your work clothing budget. I mean, these days, I only really care about the top upwards, whereas Prior to COVID, keynote speaking around the world, I spent a lot of money on my outfits for that keynote speaking. If people are paying me to attend a conference talk, I want to show up as my best self, right? When I was in the C-suite, I had tailored clothing that meant I was showing up speaking to our investors, potential buyers, all sorts of people in the best possible way because I was representing the company and it impacts how people perceive you. And tailored clothing, by the way, can make a big difference to how you feel and therefore how you show up as well as how you're perceived. You do want to go in with, you know, how other people in the company are showing up. But I have also worked places where I was quite often the best dressed and that had an impact on how people treated me externally to the company and people would come to me, not my colleagues at the same level. So just because other people are dressing a particular way, we have a whole conversation about how we show up for work. And I wish our relook really didn't matter, but it does. It's kind of like a respecting, but it's a different conversation for another day. But if this is something that you need to factor into your calculations, factor it into your calculations is what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> another cost that took me by surprise, just to illustrate this, is cost associated by lots of travel. So as I said, the company that I was working for paid for me to go to the office once a month. Great. But what I didn't anticipate was the amount of money I spent on luggage, (laughs) lots of travel-sized toiletries, lots of things to make me more comfortable on long-haul flights that weren't expensive. Um, Again, small things, but I was surprised by how much I spent because I was tracking my costs when that first year I worked for them very closely. And I was astonished by how much I spent explicitly because of the amount of time I spent traveling. (laughs) It was also things like, I love home cooking, right? I'm a big fan of Eating really well, having organic food and all that, but with the amount of travel I was doing, we were eating out more at home because I was so tired, and that had to be factored in as well. I mean, there was a there was an element of whether that was good for us, but there was also just the cost of eating out more, which I you know, because I like cooking, like our even though we eat all organic, we probably don't spend that much on food compared to some people, and you know you have to factor these things in. As I said, individually small amounts. Add them up, it can make a big big difference. So I just want you to go in with your eyes wide open. Now, one caveat here. Just because cost of living may be higher in one location to another, doesn't mean you don't take the job. That's why this whole episode exists, because there's a lot more to it than that. What I want you to understand is the realities of the offer you are getting. Make sure you see what your options are and you're not surprised. I have several clients who've taken an offer that, strictly speaking, on paper, they will take home less though their add-ons such as stocks and options may have worked out more. I think in one case they did in one case they didn't. And there were many reasons for doing that. One, it was a strategic move for her career. She decided that was worth doing. Another, it decided she wanted to move to California because it was an expensive location, there were more opportunities, and she was deliberately building up equity um, that comes with the increased salary. She was going to be increasing her salary but taking home less after expenses But instead, it was going to go in housing, which meant that she would have a better quality of life in retirement. And that was a deliberate choice. She made sure she was going to have enough to have a good standard of living, but she'd been putting away more than she needed in her previous role, so she could afford to take home less. And this is where knowledge is power, so make sure you do a thorough analysis. Now, the next piece of the cost of living puzzle, which many people forget to look at in detail, is healthcare. Even if you live somewhere where healthcare is free, such as where I am in the UK, there are often costs involved, right? And in the US and other countries with private healthcare systems, increased healthcare premiums can erode a significant pay increase. Take a look at what deductibles there are for healthcare. Even if you're in the UK, for example, and where if you're moving here, there is this wondrous thing called the NHS, which you may have heard of. But you still pay for it in the form of national insurance contributions as a pen- percentage of your gross salary, right? So it is a tax. It's not just your income tax. There's another tax called national insurance. So make sure you know what that is. And by the way, it's, some of these things vary between England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, just to give you an example. The different regions have different taxes. And then understand what goes on within those regions. So for example, in England, prescriptions are not included, In Scotland, dental checkups are not included. If you are listening to this from the US, you're probably chuckling at all these details, but the same principle applies there too. I wanted to give you an example of the NHS because people think everything's paid for. It's not quite that clear cut though. But if you're in the US or somewhere with private insurance, what does your healthcare cost as a premium? What are the copay costs? Then figure out what your average number of visits per year are right now. Then add a contingency based on an unexpected health event and actually understand what healthcare is going to cost you. This is something I have seen so many people not do because once you understand your base pay, cost of living, and other deductibles such as healthcare, and therefore understand what you'll end up taking home at the end of paying for everything each month, it's then time to figure out whether or not that's enough. Before you even look at perks and add-ons, options, stocks. Are you going to have enough to live on and be happy with that? As I said, it might be that you choose to take home less than you did previously, but you have still got to be able to live. So truly take the time to understand what that all means. Do a risk assessment on your health. You know, what would happen if you had to have surgery? What would that look like? If you this is the one time to have a think about if you want children and you haven't had any right now, what does that look like? One of the things for me was I went from a job that gave me amazing maternity benefits to zero. <laughs> I factored that into my calculations. I didn't know at that point whether I wanted to have children, but I factored it in. Um now actually, it made financial sense. Like I could afford to pay myself the maternity leave because I was doing so much better financially. But most people don't even look at that. So have a look at that. I had somebody recently come to me to tell me she turned down the job offer because she wasn't going to be able to take maternity pay and she was planning to have a kid in the next three years. And I said to her, well, what was the increase in salary they were offering you? And it was like $100,000. And I said, well, how long would you want off? She was like, well, 12 weeks. How much is that in terms of your current salary? And it was way less than $100,000. And bear in mind that... The dollar amount that you take as your base pay stays with you forever. (laughs) Negotiating that now gives you a tool for the next negotiation and the one after that. It's why people come and work with me, um, even though for, you know, some of them, you know, it's a, it's a relatively small amount of their total pay, but I have people working with me across the entire spectrum of their careers from entry level where I cost quite a lot as a proportion of the pay all the way up to executives who I'm a relatively small proportion of their pay, right? But one of the reasons even those entry-level women come and work with me is because if they can get a pay rise, they that actually more often than not. In fact, I don't think ever have I not got them a pay rise when we've negotiated it that hasn't cost covered the cost of <laughs> Working with me, there's like one exception, but we decided not to negotiate for various reasons. It was a strategic move for her. But that pay packet sticks with you for the rest of your life. It even impacts your pension, your 401k if you're in the US. So have a look at it like that. Like, Yes, there may well be upfront costs. You may well be losing something. But what's the monetary value associated with that? Which brings us to the obvious perks, which is step two. Bonuses, stock options, equity, that sort of thing. Now, these belong in a separate category to your take-home pay because they are never guaranteed, even bonuses. You may have always got your full bonus in your current job, but that's never a given. (laughs) And as many of us have seen during COVID, bonuses are very easy for companies to change terms and conditions on during a cut time of company stress. Stocks go up and down and sometimes become worthless. Options can be something that you never see the positive side of. So I want you to get all of this out on a piece of paper or on that spreadsheet that you've got a copy of. (laughs) Then I want you to do a risk assessment on each item. How long do you think options might take to vest? Take a positive and a negative view here. I was speaking to someone recently who had to wait 10 years to receive anything in a company that she thought was doing well at the time she signed up to work with them. Startups are going to be much higher risk, but can also be much higher reward. So... One of the reasons why small companies offer stock and options or equity is to make us, the leaders, the executives, or just the employees, emotionally buy into the success of the company. It is also a cheap way for them to do that because they don't have to find the cash up front. But they're saying, we give you equity and therefore now pay attention to the success of the company, right? (laughs) So just because a startup's options, stock, equity, whatever it is, is worth basically nothing right now or explicitly nothing right now. Doesn't mean it isn't going to be worth the risk to you. But I want you to understand the risk. And by the way, this is a leadership trait, too, right? At the end of the day, if you can analyze the risk associated with equity, stocks, options, then you are also able to analyze risk as a leader. It's a leadership trait, it's a leadership skill. So use this as a practice. Now, it may be that you never expect to see a return. That's okay, too. That doesn't mean you shouldn't take the opportunity if you know why you are taking the opportunity but don't make the mistake of walking in with your eyes shut to the realities of the situation also don't make the mistake of saying oh they're not offering me equity or stocks and therefore it isn't worth going in and comparing yourself with all your friends who have all these stock options at big companies because there are so many reasons to take a job offer or not don't just compare yourself to everybody around you figure out what you want Sometimes what you want is a really sure thing, and that's where the base piece comes in. Other times you don't need as much base anymore because your situation is changing, and instead you want to have a higher risk investment. Essentially, this is like an investment conversation, right? Low, medium, and high risk. The more of the the case that is a startup, um, the more of your percentage of your kind of cash received, the offer amounts that are in equity and tied up, the higher the risk, It's the same calculation you would be doing if you're investing in something else. As a leader, these are the sorts of calculations you'll be needing to make on the behalf of the company. So start doing it for yourself right now. And then the final piece of the offer puzzle is additional perks. Now, increasingly, people are realizing that money isn't the only thing that matters to us when it comes to accepting offers. And you may be offered perks on all sorts of things, and they're incredibly varied, so there is no standard formula here, but there are some general rules to help you understand the package. First of all, for each puck, you've got to understand if it's valuable to you. So I advocate calculating a dollar amount associated with it and then asking yourself, am I going to use this? And the answer is yes, no, in which case the dollar amount actually goes to zero. And yes, but I don't need it, which kind of... That needs to belong in a separate category because they're kind of like nice-to-haves, but if you didn't move to that company, you wouldn't use it. And therefore, the dollar amount is zero. It's just a nice shiny object. It's like getting a nice fancy computer as part of working for them, but you wouldn't pay for it yourself, right? That is worth considering, but make sure you're upfront with yourself. For example, a gym membership that you would never use because you detest going to the gym is going to be a zero-dollar amount. A gym membership at a fancy gym and you would use a cheaper gym by, you know, if you, if they didn't offer it to you, that's a, an additional option. Like it's nice to have, but the true saving is only the piece that you'd save on your current gym membership. It's just a nice extra perk, right? Shiny, lovely, but actually maybe you prefer a treadmill at home. <laughs> ask yourself, will I use this perk and will it improve my standard of living? Or is this valuable to me and my family? If the answer is yes, try and quantify the dollar amount so you get a sense of what it will really mean. Because the flip side is that if they offer you a higher base, you pay for that yourself instead, right? If they offer you hundreds of perks, but the base is terrible, actually, like it doesn't make sense. But equally, if there are perks that make a lot of sense to you and the base is lower but not as low as you forking out for that stuff yourself and you may well be better off this is why you have to factor this in um same thing applies with professional development costs some companies will offer next to no professional development putting the burden on you but may offer you a much bigger base but here's the interesting one i had a conversation with somebody recently who just accepted an offer and she'd asked for coaching help and they said no but they made it very clear that they expected her to have a coach. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, cheeky. Um, <laughs> now, in their minds, they'd factored into the base offer, enough for her to cover executive coaching and she works with me, so that all works out. But um, I thought that was interesting. I can't remember this stat exactly, but something like 80% of tech executives have professional coaching. Some of it's paid for, some of it's not. A lot of it is a mixture, interestingly a lot of my clients will go and ask and it's not in a professional development budget, but it is covered. And um, so it's sometimes something you can negotiate once you've been in the job for a while, but have a look at it. And by the way, if coaching in particular is covered, make sure you look out for things like them insisting that they choose the coach, because the most important thing with coaching, as I've said in previous episodes, <laughs> is that you get on with the coach. Otherwise it's not going to work for either of you, right? And getting on with the coach is not like they're going to be my best buddy. It's that. You have respect for them and you're going to listen to them, but they're going to push you, right? Otherwise, what's the point? <laughs> Just a kind of like pet annoyance of mine there coming out. And other perks to watch out for are ones that help you settle into your new environment. Relocation costs, covering fees for an agency to help your partner find a new job. Assistance with transitioning your kids' schools can be incredibly valuable if there's something that you would use. At the end of the day, you are only as happy and therefore as productive as the worst part of your life. If your kids are miserable, you aren't going to be good at your job. And a good employer knows that. A transition, something I specialize in, by the way, transition coaching, particularly a transition that involves uprooting your family, is a huge test for new executives. And good bosses know that and will do what they can to alleviate that stress so that you can do work that they hired you to do from day one and thrive. If you're spending every single waking moment stressing about your family, you're going to take longer for the return on investment to happen in your new role. So look out for those perks. And if they make sense for your situation, look at how much they're worth to you. So one interesting way I love to calculate this is to figure out how much time you would be spending against your dollar hourly rate. Let me explain, right? First of all, figure out how much they're paying you per hour. Take 52 weeks, multiply it by five. That's how many days you work per week. Well, that's the total number of days in the year, give or take. A little bit different because obviously 52 weeks isn't exactly the number of weeks in the year, but 52 times five. Then take off statutory holidays, any paid vacation you get. You will get anything from 220 days upwards, right? Then multiply that by your average number of hours of work per day. That is how many hours you are working per year. It's deliberately excluding your vacation because although you have paid vacation, you're not actually working in that time. So I want the, the, amount, the number of hours you are actually physically working. Now, take your salary and divide that by the number of hours you work per year. Your annual salary divided by the number of hours you work per year that you've just calculated. That is how much your time is worth per hour. I often get people to do this when they're thinking about hiring a nanny or <laughs> somebody to mow the lawn or anything like that. I'm like, how much is your time actually worth and how much are you going to pay them? Because I bet your time is worth quite a lot more. And besides, you're retired. So <laughs> that's just something to consider. So here's the deal. Here's why I want you to do this right now. If you would spend two weeks doing something that could be outsourced to an agency, such as helping your kids get settled, find a good school helping your partner prep their resume, um, prepare for interviews, all that sort of stuff. How much of your time is that and what is the dollar value attached to it? And suddenly you see the value of perks associated with relocation. Calculations like that, it doesn't have to be to do with relocation. It can be to do with anything, right? But they can really help you understand the value of some of these perks in terms of our standard of living. And not to mention also arguments, one of the biggest challenges I see when transitioning in your job, that includes just a promotion within, is your stress levels go up as you're actively learning and embedding in the new role. If you're also having to deal with something stressful at home, arguments increase and all sorts of things go on. And so this is about really bringing your levels down so that you can focus on onboarding and thriving and standing out and setting yourself up for the quick promotion, the quick wins, all that sort of stuff that I, are so important in transition. It's harder to put dollar amounts in some of these, but happy families are worth so much to us. So I really want you, if you can, to kind of figure the dollar amount out. And if you can't, I want you to decide how important it is to you. Give it a rating some of this stuff is just going to be holistic you can't put a dollar amount on that right but have a good thing once you've understand your perks you're kind of done right you now know your take home base like after all the costs any equity bonuses that will eventually potentially turn into cash and the risks associated with that including uh, initial assessments of likelihood of timelines of seeing any of that stuff and you also now have the value of your perks and emotional attachment to some of those perks Now comes a really hard bit. (laughs) Now I want you to be able to take a holistic overview of all those things. Um, In the spreadsheet, you'll now have those three tabs completed. There's one for each of those three things: your perks, your bonuses, the the less obvious cash stuff, and then your actual base. You've got those three tabs. They're deliberately three tabs because they're not directly comparable, right? And you need to take all the pieces of the puzzle, consider them holistically. Think about how you feel about it. There is no one-size-fits-all here. I can't give you a magic calculation that says if you get this much equity and this much base and this number of dollars of perks, you should go for it. Instead, you need to sit and decide. If you can, discuss it with a partner, close friend, coach, mentor, anybody that you really, truly trust, as long as they're not just going to tell you what to do because the only person who can make this decision is you, my love. (laughs) Figure out your red lines. For example, if you know you can't afford to take a real pay cut, but when you factored in changes to cost of living, that's where you're going to be, then it can be a clear no. And you might be like, oh, but this is such an amazing opportunity. But if you know your red line and you've done all these calculations, you know it's time to walk away or renegotiate. But other times it won't be that clear cut. In fact, most of the time it's not going to be that clear cut. So I want you to really take the time to just kind of sit with that. And that, my love, is how you understand your offer. Armed with this set of calculations, I now hope you truly are able to make informed decisions. And more important than that, informed negotiations on your own behalf. And don't be afraid to continue negotiating if what is offered doesn't work for you, right? Sometimes you can actually say, hey, I'm not interested in this perk, but I need more base. And sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. People are um, often reluctant to do that because quite often they've Um, negotiated perks is a big package. Other times, perks are actually cheaper. So if there's something you really need, then ask for it. Because at the end of the day, to give you the amount of cash you would need to pay for it is going to cost them more because of taxes, right? So... (laughs) Sometimes if you're like, I really need this one thing. Um, one of my clients recently was negotiating, basically them paying for some of her copay. I don't know how that works legally in the US. I think it really depends on the state. Um, but some of that, because that was important to her and it cost them less than it costs her. So that actually allowed them to meet her where she needed them to meet her. So great. As I've mentioned before on the podcast, one of the major negotiations I did took three months, right? I knew my red lines and so the initial offer I walked away from and I thought that was a done deal actually. I thought "Eh." they wanted me to move to Spain. I wasn't prepared to move my family, put them through that. Um, Three months later though, we landed on an offer that made financial sense for me, actually made very good financial sense for me, kept my family in Scotland and also meant I was up leveling both my job and my overall set of benefits. But I knew my red lines and so I was able to negotiate appropriately. And I slept on it regularly, which is where i'm going to come to in a minute do not forget to download that spreadsheet bit.ly forward slash offer to help you with this no email no name required it's literally just a link to the spreadsheet but let's finish up the leadership mindset moment in case you're new around here <laughs> this is an actual tip to help you adjust how you act or think to make it easier to up level on the topic of today's podcast and this one is super easy once you've come to a decision, you've you've considered the reality of those three pieces of the puzzle. You've got all the data. You have an instinct. You've come to a decision. Maybe you've asked for advice. But remember, at the end of the day, it's your decision. No one else's, right? Somebody's telling you what to do. They aren't a good advisor to you. My final piece of advice, the mindset shift, sleep on it. <laughs> Sometimes once we've done the analysis, our emotions are controlling our reactions. A good night's sleep can help us come to a less emotional decision and a more rational one. It's that simple, which does mean if you've got 24 hours, you need to make the time and the energy to do this analysis before you go to bed. Easier said than done sometimes, I know, in our busy lives. <laughs> if you know you're not going to get time to get to it tonight, ask for 48 hours rather than 24 hours and then block time in your calendar. You'll need between one and two hours typically to do this calculation. It might be quicker than that. Um, Sometimes you can do some of this homework while you are just applying for the job. You can be like, well, okay, I'd have to move here. What does that mean in terms of cost of living? all those sorts of things, taxes? You can get those well before you get a job offer. So if you know you're going to be tight on time, do that one. And then this can be very quick, actually. But make sure you take the time and then get a good night's sleep so you can come to a more rational decision. Sound good? (laughs) That's it for today's episode. If you found this powerful, I would appreciate it so much if you did your bit and shared this with other women who need to step back, understand their offer more closely and, you know, stand up for themselves. And don't forget to get those links that I've mentioned, head to the show notes in your favorite podcast player or to tonycollis.com forward slash episode 56 and you'll get link to the spreadsheet, you'll get a link to the other episodes I mentioned. And one more thing. This episode means an awful lot to me. I wish somebody had taken me through all this ten years ago, (laughs) and so uh, it would make my day, possibly even my week. I say that before, but I'll say it again. If you could leave a review over on iTunes, I really want this episode to reach as many amazing women as possible, so that we can all go into these negotiations with the understanding and the insights that we truly need to hold our own and really stand up for ourselves. But Until next time, as always, remember to stay on your tech leadership game, follow your dreams, because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to TonyCollis.com and check out Work with Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Woman in Tech podcast.